Ogilvie survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Gary Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. G'day everybody, welcome to episode 12 of Inside the Ropes. Another huge week has been, another huge weekend to look forward to, Andy Maher, alongside the inimitable Mark Hayes. Uh, wouldn't be Inside the Ropes without you, Hayesy. Hello, great man. Hello, Mari. Um, uh, another fascinating week of ranting coming up, I hope, especially with Ali back on. She just rants and rants <laughs> Well, what and about Alison Whitaker, who joins us again? Uh, lovely to see you, Al. Always a pleasure, guys. And you've got a very big couple of weeks. You've had a big couple of weeks already, but you've got a very big week coming up with the Solheim Cup. Um, you're sitting alongside a man who, for the second week in a row, is wearing <laughs> shorts in the middle of a Melbourne winter. There is a story behind it, which we don't need to go into, but... Um, Shorts are on the agenda today. <laughs> Kenny they Schofield, are. the former executive director of the European Tour, whether we like it or not, has put shorts well and truly on the agenda this week. What's with wardrobe this season? I mean, I feel like it's been a real topic of conversation on both sides of the game, the men's and it the women's. Oh, so. Particularly the women's. I mean, I'd love to get your opinion on that later in the show. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it seems like we're talking about odd things week in, week out, doesn't it? Like it doesn't feel like we could perhaps set an agenda on Monday and this is what we're going to be talking about this week because something always bizarre pops up. Well, if it's not wardrobe, thankfully no malfunctions are going on. But <laughs> rulings, what do you mean here right now? Like or? That. We've had no. Well, I mean, I can I can comment on those, but I'll do it off air. <laughs> What's happening in this corner of the room is uh, is uh, well. Thankfully, it's, it's, it's under the table. Yeah, so. thankfully, it's, <laughs> this is not a visual medium. Um, we got a big show today. Hopefully, Stuart Apple is going to join us. Um, he's on the other side of the planet from us. And he's got a good record in the PGA Championship. He's not in it, of course, this year. But I'm keen to have a chat to him about his near thing last week on the PGA Tour. He sort of wound back the clock. Hasn't won for about seven years, but had himself right in the frame but on the weekend. He did. He probably thinks he coulda, shoulda, woulda. Uh, he had a chip on the last hole to actually win the whole shooting match, which would have been remarkable where he's come from physically. Uh, so who knows? He's 46 years of age. Um, is it past him? I We don't know. We seriously don't know. He, I mean, you could have said that about his body years ago. I'd love to talk to him about that if he uh, if hopefully picks up his phone at some point. Yep. Um, yeah, he has had back injuries that would have ruled a lesser bloke out of contention. So he's back and in contention on the PGA Tour. You can't say much more. Well, I think that's something that's very unique in particular to Aussie pros in in that they're so supremely talented and that talent never leaves. It's just whether or not the body can keep up with yeah. it realistically. I mean, you know, we, we referenced Kari Webb a couple of weeks back. Wouldn't it be great to have, you know, Webby and, uh, and Stuart right in the mix again and contending because they were a part of an era of golf that realistically it'll be hard to match just because of the nature of sport at the mm. moment and the amount of sport that's available. Cause mm. when they were at the forefront of golf, that was one of really the only massive sports on the agenda in Australia at the time, along with say tennis and footy and that kind of thing. But now we've got, you know, you can go and watch 
how many games of soccer, football, oh, everything. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it would be great to see a resurgence from them. Um, Matty Griffin, who lit a bit of a fuse last week, uh, is back from Japan. You missed this whole conversation here, but I'm sure you probably... Um, Certainly listened in, Murray. ...had the chat elsewhere about all this. He's going to come in and have an expanded chat about his um, view regarding you know the pouring on of pressure on... Um, perhaps even some younger players on social media who may not necessarily be able to cope with it. Before we expand on it, Hazy and I sort of expressed our views last week. Have you got a, a quick snapshot opinion on on the point that Matty was making? Well, I'm I'm really looking forward to the discussion about it actually because I, you know I can kind of see both sides of the coin in. Mm. in being positive and being negative. So um, it's going to be a really good chat. And mm. I, I think that, you know, these discussions and especially having someone like Maddie, who, who I've grown up playing golf with, yeah. um, who I know I can be really candid with. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, Ooh, uh, looking forward Ooh, to kind I'll of just step back. Having, having a little, you know, not a head-to-head, but definitely raising all the points that need to good, be raised. Good, good. Um, so we've got all of that. We're very keen to speak to you about the last couple of weeks that you've had and what's coming up, Al. But uh, just a bit of housekeeping before we do. We're also going to hear from... Um, we're going to hear from Blakey this week or next week? No, I think he's probably going to be next week. Next week, right. Yeah. No problems. Um, remind listeners to subscribe uh, through the Apple Podcast, iTunes or Android users. Download podcast apps through Google Play to get the show delivered to your device every single Thursday. Inside the Ropes is now available on Spotify. Uh, if you're a Spotify user, head to the search tool, plug in Inside the Ropes. You can keep up with all the episodes via Spotify. We didn't mention Golf Month last week, and it's starting to ramp itself up, up a little bit hazy. So um, tell me something we need to know about uh, the upcoming Golf Month. Well, this is probably the last time we'll uh, reach out to people on this level. Uh, we'll change tack next week as it, it, it takes a new sort of appearance outwardly. But at the moment, we're still really keen for everyone to get involved and pump their facility, pump their club to get involved with Golf Month around Australia. October this year, uh, I think it's the third annual, uh, we just implore everyone to get involved. So got plenty of activities are starting to appear on the map. Uh, if you're a member of a club, we encourage them to be involved. Uh, that map is can be found at golfmonth.com.au. Uh, we talk about October. It's the perfect time for us all to get behind the sport and encourage friends and family to pick up the club and have a hit. Uh, better weather, Andy. Perfect. It's been about five or six weeks since we'll have seen Carlton playing football, and it's just before the spring <laughs> carnival takes a hold around Australia. So it's a perfect time to get out there. Uh, and, and we're all about catching the golf bug, but we'll talk more about that in coming weeks. My word, we will. Um, Carl, it's, it's been a huge couple of weeks for the women's game, and you've been right in the middle of it all, and you're about to jump on a plane tomorrow morning our time and <laughs> get back in the middle of one of the great um, bi-annual events. Biennial. 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 That's once every that two years, right? That's correct. Biennial is yeah. once every twice Six a year. Months. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Uh, biennial events. <laughs> we should actually. <laughs> you be... are our bi man. Oh, that's a very controversial <laughs> thing to be able to say <laughs> well, here, Andy. You know what I'm getting at. I, I do. Yeah. It's bifurcation and biennial all the way for me. What about that? I, I knew, even knew what he was talking about. You're we actually it's... are very privileged, Andy, in all seriousness, to have Ali with us so um, I'm, because I'm, she's becoming. Well, far too accomplished for your, your good self and, and myself. Well, she gave us Windburn about six weeks ago, to be honest. But, uh, I mean, she'll tell you about, uh, in a very polite and modest way, I'm sure, but she'll tell you what she's got ahead of her. It's quite a remarkable achievement. We're very proud of you, Ali. Well done. Thanks, guys. Yeah, well, it's all it's all yet to be seen, so we'll uh, we'll get to that in a, in a little bit. But, yeah, it has been a massive couple of weeks for women's golf in that um, I have never – and and I say this absolutely genuinely for, from a person that used to get up at 3am to watch the majors with her dad. I'd, I'd 
go up and flick the kettle on. He'd bring, bring the doona up and we'd watch the majors in the morning before school and I'd go to school and be absolutely rubbish that day. But I was stoked <laughs> anyway. So um, I can't remember doing that since I was young and I did it this past weekend um, coming back because I actually left on um, Wednesday night out of the British. So um, went and did the Scottish Open, did the um, commentary for that, which in itself was awesome watching mm. Kari Webb. You, you mentioned it last week, um, her performance there. And I was so glad that you guys noticed what actually happened to her because not a lot of people, you know, it, it's hard when it's live TV to really um, nail the commentary and nail how things have unfolded. Sometimes you, you're kind of guessing a bit. You well, know, absolutely, yeah. and it's speculation. And she literally lost that tournament because of a bad bounce, and yep. you guys caught it, and I was stoked because that was one of the things that in commentary we try and pick up on everything, but we're essentially seeing what you see at home. Like It's not like we have any special previews. We don't have any other angles. We have a monitor, and you're just trying to get as much detail as you can from – uh, what's essentially like a shipping container out on the other side of the golf course. So it's not that glamorous all the time. But, um, yeah, she on the 17th tee, like you guys said, she literally got a bad bounce and lost the event. She was never losing that event. Um, she obviously bogeyed 16 um, from down in front of the – in front of the green, she'd been shipping well all day. She chose to putt, mm. um, blew it eight feet by, missed the putt coming back. So, which was uh, odd given the chip she'd made on fourteen. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is an incredible shot. Yeah, yeah, which was we really thought that was it. We thought yeah. that was a nail in the coffin, and and it ended up not being that. But, um, and I've, I think we referenced um, back when Matt Goggin was on the show. We talked about momentum changes in golf and how it's this intangible quality that the more you play golf, the more you realise that you just wish there was a measurement for it. Like, And so I talk about, in post-round interviews, I talk to players about, all right, let's talk about the momentum changes, the bogey on four, but then you, bogey, you birdied seven. And so there, it's like this graph that you go through where it's the only way that I can think of quantifying it. But yeah. um, she, you know, I, I think we talked about it, she said, at a dinner party that we had once that she just had a lot of good bounces. And until I saw it happen to her, it, it was one of those things where you're like, no, you're a supremely talented athlete. Like you're, yeah. you're full of it. But she genuinely lost that event because of a bad bounce. So um, c- credit to her. Credit to Mee Hyung Lee who ended up winning. She made a, a, a supremely difficult up and down on the 17th hole and then kept it all together. So... But Kari, I mean, oh, it was heartbreaking. It was great. Look, it was, we said last week, and it continues with it. it, it the form didn't translate into the week after, but it was just great to see her remind us all that when, you know, it all rolls for her, she is still as competitive as any player. Maybe not week in, week out anymore, but she's still as competitive as any player out there. I mean, she's a flusher. Yeah. She is a total flusher. Like, I love watching Webby play. Mm. And, you know, whenever I see her in practice rounds, I find myself following her around and just, you know, having a chat, obviously, and catching up, but also just watching her play golf because it's such a privilege to see her play golf. Even still for me, um, I just never get sick of it. I'll be keen to – if we get to Apples, I'll be keen to have a chat to him about this, Hazy, because that when you get to that stage of your career, you know that the the chances to win are going to be diminishing. They're going to be fewer and far up, further between you're not 27 anymore and you haven't got the next 15 years to contend and contend and contend. So when you do get in contention on a Sunday, I wonder how different it feels at 46, 42, 45, 51, um, whatever the age might be of the relevant person we're discussing, compared to how it felt at 27. I imagine it must be a really different 
feeling. Right. Some sim- some similar things, but overwhelmingly a different feeling. Well, I think that's what, again, what Matty Goggin alerted us to a few weeks ago when he was talking about Tom Watson, yeah. who used to win tournaments for fun on a Sunday. But at age 59, it was, I think, at the time, suddenly it was different. You know, he wasn't in control of everything his hands were doing and where his body was turning. And it's a funny thing. It's just, you know, you, you can't tell yourself how you're going to react until you get into that position. And I think that's true for 99.9% of all athletes, elite or otherwise. Uh, maybe Tiger for a little stretch there was on autopilot, Ali. I'm not sure if you've seen someone on the women's tour. Maybe maybe Lorena Ochoa for yeah, a, a couple of years. I think Yanni Seng as well. She was a real momentum player that she was really hard to beat when she was world number one. But um, yeah, you're so right though. It is, I mean, it's incredible to watch when they get, but it's usually within an age range, isn't it? Like mm. it's so rare that you see someone past the age of well, in the women's game past the age of, say, 33, but I think it's a, perhaps, I don't know if it's younger, it's probably a little bit later for guys usually. I find that they seem to peak between their 30s and 35-year mm. range. Mm. I think it's a little bit later for, mm. for guys generally. Which makes what a couple of the guys out there at the moment are doing even more extraordinary. You know, you look at the way Spieth and Matsuyama yeah. and these guys are going at the moment, it's... Um, Perhaps it's kind of rewriting that paradigm a little bit. Um, so that was then. Then the now last week became the British Open and the Korean dominance continues. Uh, she, OK Kim wins it. She, it was hers. No, I guess nobody around the place thought she could possibly lose going into the final round, did they? Yeah, well, I mean, is an interesting character. I actually had dinner with her in, in Scotland and she is, I mean... I could I could use the word fruit loop but I mean it in the in the <laughs> kindest way. Like if you go on a she's she's do. incredible. Um so she usually travels with a guitar so she and I bond quite a bit over that. Yeah. Um but she if you go on her Instagram and look at the video that she posted after she won. I think it was the next day. It's literally her and her friend bouncing on the bed singing like karaoke. <laughs> She's just and she she was up at I want to say five thirty on the Sunday morning and went and watched sunrise before she went out to play at three o'clock that day in the final round. Because she's she's very intuitive in terms of her spirit, in terms of meditation and being centered. And I literally wrote a, a message saying to to someone, I think it was someone that was on com saying, IK watched the sunrise come up. She's not losing today. Because of that, because and that and that's enough for her. Um, Where was our text? We could have run down to Sportsbet. <laughs> exactly. I don't reckon the odds would have been all that good <laughs> no, going into the final round yeah, with a six-shot lead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's no, pretty rubbish. Sad, but um, yeah. one of the one of the funnest things for me last week was actually um, seeing. You know when you you know these players and you see them and you're like, eventually people are going to work out how good they are, and that happened for two girls last week. Actually, realistically, three girls in the women's game. Um, one was Angel Yin, who ended up getting a captain's pick, um, an American um, girl with I think her mum's um, got uh, Chinese heritage, and so she ended up getting a captain's pick for the Solheim Cup in a rookie year out of nowhere. Um, and then Georgia Hall was in contention as well, who's a really good friend of mine. Um, it was. That was why I was getting up on the weekend. I set my alarm for – I watched it as late as I could, but then, um, yeah, set the alarm for 3 o'clock to kind of watch the last couple of holes and stayed up until the Solheim announcements, which ended up coming about 6.30 Australian time. But I, can't, I honestly can't remember the last time I set my alarm like that. And it was just huge for women's golf, the hype. Um, sadly, the crowds weren't that great. The mm. rubbish was – the rubbish, the weather was pretty rubbish. But 
Um, I don't think that the crowds reflected at least the TV presence. It was quite a big TV presence, which is good in terms of viewership. And Absolutely. That kind of thing, but. It's thoroughly deserved, by the way. Like they, they, they should be getting that kind of um, platform, you know, that sort of media platform. The golf they play is magnificent. And I'm, everybody listening to this podcast and having this conversation doesn't – we're all on board. But maybe the greater sporting population – um, just needs to give it a shot at some stage to see just how precise they are and how good I mean how good the playing is. It's awesome. Yeah, well, I, I encourage people to actually just go and watch an event when it's in the neighbourhood because mm-hmm. then you realise, like, A, you get way more access to the women than you do to the guys. It's incredible yeah. how friendly they are. If they've seen you following them during the round, nine girls out of ten will go and thank you after. Who does that? Yeah, like who right. actually, yeah, and especially, yeah. I have to say the LPGA are absolutely incredible at doing that and they encourage that, um, the synergy and the integration between the people on and off the golf course, which I love. So only two Australians make the cut. I'm all right. Sue O and Catherine Kirk make the cut. Sue um, started well her final round. She started to climb through the field pretty dramatically on her front nine. Um, she jumped about 10 places, I think it was, in the final day as it was, but finishes tied 30-odd, I think. Um, which is not a bad result, of course, but she'll, she and others will be looking at you know greater finishes than that in coming years, I'd imagine. I think she's trending in the right direction, direction there. Yeah, I mean, sure. she, she'll yeah. need to take a step her own. She'd tell you that herself, but the trend is in the right direction there. I think uh, she's making constant steps, probably a little slower than what she'd want, Ali, I would imagine, but uh, she's going in the right direction. Yeah, well, I feel like I hope that Sue doesn't get into the 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 category of players on the LPGA in regards to being the best player not to have won a tournament. Mm. Um, I hope she doesn't end up in that category because another two years without a win and she'll be in that category. Okay. Um, she's got yeah, she's very highly regarded on tour um, as a player and a person. Obviously, she's a total legend, so um, that's lovely. But yeah, it was a little bit disappointing from the Aussies. Um, and they'd say that themselves yeah. last week, but the butchered. course was pretty foreign. They got to butchered them. by that wind yeah, um, and the rain the, on day even one. Even the design of the golf course it was so foreign to what we have in Australia. Um, even if you go down to Barnbogle, Kings Barns was different. So it was two Carl Phillips designed golf courses back to back at the Scottish and the and Kings Barns, which is why they got such a good field at the Scottish Open. Um, smart move by the promoters there having the same course designer. Um, but yeah, it was it was gen- genuinely just really different to what we have in Australia. Mm. Like it's an American designed golf course in Scotland on the Scottish coast. Well, there's a couple of those courses yeah. around St Andrews that are actually designed for American tourists as opposed to the traditional links. Uh, I know they rub a couple of people up the wrong way just by having changed their outward appearance. Uh, it's it's tourism golf. Yeah, it's not pure. Scottish golf uh, that 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 goes without saying. So, you know, it, it's not right to think that uh, you know the Australians might have an advantage on a links course over an American player, which we all sort of vaguely assume, rightly or wrongly, that just doesn't uh, doesn't work out at Kings Barnes. Uh, it would if we were back on a on a on a course that's more traditionally on the rotor. So let's keep rolling with the women's game, the Solheim Cup. If you didn't watch it two years ago, then um uh, you you missed out on some unbelievable drama. Yeah. Uh, it's only going to sharpen. You know, now that it's back again, I, I imagine they all all the individuals go and do their thing. They go and do their own thing, and then once the 
you know, the the it's on the horizon. Their memories start to sharpen and they start to focus and it becomes, oh, yeah, I remember what happened yeah. 18 months ago. <laughs> this is going to be, oh, I can't wait for it to start. I can't wait for it to start. Uh, I mean, Ali's the one to talk to about this, but that was an event that was nice in my eyes, you know, had potential and whatever. And in one fairly crazy <laughs> hole... It just had, you must look at me right now yep. from any level of sporting competition, men's, women's, whatever sport you're talking about. It went off the charts in one hell of a hurry due to some fairly ordinary activity, I would have thought, from the European team at the time. Uh, I really hope, I know that we're talking about, um, you know, Suzanne Pedersen being involved, and I know that. Brittany Linscombe and others who were around at the time quickly forgave her and they moved on and they were joking one to two tournaments later. But I really hope, Andy, that when they tee it up next week, <laughs> that that all comes rushing back because that, that SOL on the liver, I can't really say what I want to say there. You probably can. Can I? Yeah, you can. Well, they had shit on the liver yeah. that's never been seen in women's <laughs> golf before and it was fantastic. How cool. I, it just put a whole different edge on it. And, that, and in terms of going back to the point we made before about getting an audience – it makes it. We know it's real, and we know it's genuine, and we know that it's competitive. But when there's a bit of blood on the floor, like there was, and real genuine emotion in front of, if I was the promoters of the Solheim Cup, I would be having that on. I'd be paying for global <laughs> TV advertising all over the place to remind. This is what happened two years ago. You do not want to miss it. Not necessarily encouraging players to do the same thing again. Yeah, but yeah, just definitely. to underline how real this is. You know how how important it is. It was gut wrenching. I, I was I was calling it at the time, and I went dead silent because I was literally shaking. Yeah. I was we we couldn't fathom what we'd just seen. But does um, everyone know what we're talking about? So on the seventeenth hole, it was um. What was it? I think it was the four afternoon four ball, mm. and it was Charlie Hullen and Suzanne Pedersen being paired against Alison Lee and Brittany Lincecombe. And so, um, essentially, Alison had a birdie putt, and Suzanne had walked away. Charlie was next to the green, and then and so was Brittany Lincecombe. And then um, Alison left a putt, say about a foot and a half away, and then just walked over and raked it. And you could actually hear Brittany Lincecombe at the time say. I don't think that was good or did she give you that? Mm. So her teammate knew at the time and then Suzanne was like, well, we didn't give it to you. Mm. So, And as soon as you say, you know, it's like what happened with Erica Shepard um, last week, 10 days ago, that as soon as you say that it wasn't given, there's no going back. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. done. Yeah. So um, you either you you either tell the truth about what actually just happened or you make a really quick decision and say, of course, it was fine. Yeah, yeah pick it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is very hard to do in that kind of a pressure cooker situation. Um, but yeah, so, and it just imploded. So at that point in time, the, they had a six, six point lead going into the final round of singles. And they'd actually, it was actually that morning because there was a weather delay. And so usually you have the singles day on the Sunday, but they were finishing matches the morning of. So the momentum just f- absolutely flipped on its head. And it, they came back from the biggest ever deficit on a final round, um, on a singles day ever seen in the Solheim Cup, they came right. back from that. And it was the smallest margin of victory ever seen in the Solheim Cup as well. So it and was I've, just nuts. I've <laughs> never, ever, 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 Andy, been accused of barracking for the United States. But you almost had to be on on that day. It was that sort of tumultuous in terms of the emotions. And I thought there were going to be seven irons at, at 15 paces on the 18th, on the 18th <laughs> fairway after that. That was, that was some of the most tense television. Oh, I was. Uh, the people, like competitors in tears, 
team members in tears who weren't even part of the match. That there was just and because it went, it took so long for it to play out. The camera was rolling through the respective teams who had all gathered. It was. Um, well, it was compelling. It was compelling who, television. Who was that American legend who was... Uh, was she the captain or... Julie Engster? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, I, I thought she was about to rumble. <laughs> it she was, was awesome. Well, there's no... There was no... I mean, Karen Koch, who was the captain at the time, she's not... Um, she's absolutely lovely, brilliant player. She's not entirely assertive. And I think that actually almost let them down because... I, if I was a captain in that situation, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have. They, they, the players almost ran to the 18th tee, so they were halfway down the hole before anyone had really even worked out what had happened elsewhere. So, um, in terms of a management situation, I really felt like they should have said, "All right, let's go. We'll have a chat, and then once we get to the 18th, we're all good, and then you play golf, yeah. like, and just clear it up there because they didn't have to do it as quickly as they did." Um, but different story this this year. Annika Sorensen's the captain this year, and you know that. She gone throw down. <laughs> Can you put that in commentary? She gone, she gone throw it. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so two things that I, I want to. You mentioned what will you tell us? What we need to know about, um, you know, briefly. And as yep. you, but um, the Paula Creamer situation comes in for Jessica Corder. I want to know how harmonious that's going to be now that she's in the team. And just from a domestic perspective, the last two winners of the Victorian Open are both members of the European um, Solheim Cup team. Mel Reed. And Georgia Hall, which just from a you know we don't, we shouldn't feel like this is a good this is a really really good golf tournament. Matt, Matty um, Griffin's about to join us, so he knows what it's like to win that thing. But to have the last two winners of you know a tournament played down your neck of the woods, Hazy, here in Victoria on the Ballerine Peninsula, representing Europe in this really keenly anticipated event, it does says a fair bit about the Victorian Open, I reckon. It's it's amazing the players that the Vic Open is drawing and will draw um, already and and I'll admit I I push the Vic Open pretty hard to the Good. players um, more out of what I think it it does for the game so people talk about oh why don't we have a men's and women's event blah blah, blah. I'm like we do we've actually got two of them where we've got the Vic Open where you, you play for equal prize money which is next level and we do it in Morocco as well but we. The, the European Tour plays for their own purse on a different side of the golf course and the only time you see each other is in the players' lounge. So, yep. And the, and the LET plays for you know a fifth of the money over on the other side of the golf course with a different coverage. It's not integrated like the Vic Open is. And so um, when I say we play for equal prize money, everyone goes, seriously? Mm. Like that's, that's actually happening? And I said, yeah, and it's gone up every single year. Like get on board. Mm. And it's in a beautiful part of the country and – you know, go down, rent a house by the beach, go play some golf, Have a week. Yeah. be a part of it, yeah. you know. And so, um, yeah, I honestly think I know of a couple of players that are really looking at coming and it's just going to it's gonna blow it up on the women's side at least. So I hope you guys are doing it on the men's side because the women's side next year is going to be epic. Well, we'll be there, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, we will. I mean, just full credit to Golf Victoria for yep. what they've done and Oates and their other sponsors to make that happen. It, I, it staggers me that it hasn't caught on in other parts of the world. Uh, I understand that it may never happen, uh, you know, at the upper levels, the absolute elite levels. But for all the, you know, the tournaments that are struggling financially or in a media sense or whatever around the world, it's just, it's logical. But I doubt whether it ever catch up to the way that Golf Victoria runs that event. It's impressive. Um, we all knew Georgia Hall was going to be something special the way she held it together around 13th Beach. But she's really taken the game to the next level. So we're wrapped for her. We love Mel Reed. 
I'd love to see Sandra Gale was part of that. Did she make the Solheim team? Sadly, she didn't. She actually missed pardon? out. Yeah, which is a bit of a shame. But she's um, she's over in Iceland at the moment. Okay, <laughs> just uh, she's over for uh, one of her friend Olafia Kristenstotter's um, charity event over there, which is kind of fun. So she's she's a, she's doing all right. It looks a pretty strong European team. To yeah, me. is it is it is that your reading of it? Definitely. Yeah, I think. Um, more so from the fact that there's a few unexpecteds on the European team. And Annika Sorensen, it's it's not actually well known, but she asked her players at the start of the year to start keeping stats for her. So keep their own stats that they do anyway and keep extra stats so that she can work out pairing, she can work out okay. how she oh. plays. And, and I honestly think that's exactly how em- Emily Pedersen, um, the Danish girl, who she won the LET Rookie of the Year in 2015, um, she... She got on the team because of her stats. I genuinely think that. She's an incredible ball striker. She hits consistently hits at least 14 greens, sometimes 17, 18. And so imagine playing against that. She's like going to annoy the <laughs> hell out of you because she's just going to be Pedersen for birdie. Pedersen for birdie. Great. Like, what a yeah. great player Which play is brilliant. Yeah, yeah exactly. So um, Paula Kramer, as a, um, as a reserve, um, there were 25 Americans that weren't on the team that were ranked higher than her in scoring average going into the week. And I genuinely think, and this is me being opinionated because two of my friends missed out, um, so I am biased and I'll say that openly, um, she picked her because she wanted to pick her. She wanted an excuse, I think, to have her on the team. Right. And granted, her reasoning was sound that she didn't know if she was going to sub someone in next week or next Wednesday night. Um, that was the cutoff. And so she, if you're going to do that, you want someone with experience. And there's very few players with a better match play record. It's an unbelievable than, record. Yeah, than unbelievable record. So fair enough. But there was a couple of really heartbroken people on Sunday night. Unfairly overlooked in your eyes? Um, I think she went for personalities rather than golf games in a wow. way. And that's a massive call. But, but you're, picking a team, uh, though, you're picking a team though, Hazy, and the captain's call is that you're going to be a hero or a dud based on one thing and one thing only, and that's how that player performs right or wrong. That's that's pretty well, much that's, the bottom line, right? Yeah. This, is, this isn't you or me saying this, Andy. This is someone who's, you know, integral to the Solon Cup <laughs> saying this. <laughs> yeah. We should just take a step back. If Ali says it's, you know, a questionable decision. Yeah, I oh, know. I, I, I totally agree questionable with you. Questionable is a sure. hard word, but I just, I know that, like, no. a lot of people thought that Nellie Corder was going to get on the team. Um, she didn't. I, a lot of people thought that Marina Alex really deserved to be there. She had yeah. an incredible final three months. She didn't. Mo Martin, who has won a British Open, um, who missed out last time round, didn't even really get a look in. So, um, had Mo granted, had she finished say top five, top seven last week, I, I don't think that Julie could have not picked her. But there's ways to force the issue, and no one did that, and I'll acknowledge that. But essentially, um, yeah, it was it, it was heartbreak central on okay. Sunday night. Absolutely, we welcome a new ranter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really passionate. I was really passionate about this. I spoke to Marina that night. I spoke to Mo Martin that night. I've spoken to Angel Yin, who got a pick. I've spoken to Emily Pedersen that night when she got in. Georgia Hall, like these girls are some of my friends on tour and I'm finding it really hard to separate the personal <laughs> the personal side of it which got me pretty fired up. Well so. now you now you probably when you look at it through that prism you probably see where Julie Inkster's coming from. Yeah, you know well, what I mean like where you if you're in that position as well as much as you might want to think the numbers will just make the call for me well maybe there's a bit more to it than that. I, I spoke to Vicky Hurst, uh, I think it was yesterday, who's a Solheim Cup player as well, and I, I asked her about it and I said, I'm actually having trouble 
working this out. I've looked at all of the stats. There's nothing that's helping me. Can you talk me through it? And she said, just remember that no captain has ever picked a player because she wants to lose. And I was like, God, you're good. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely nailed it. Well, that's all very controversial, but nothing on what our next guest did last week. G'day, I'm my golf ambassador, Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment and just as importantly about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. Hey, this is Rod Pampling. Anytime you guys want to tune in and find out what's happening around the world, listen to Inside the Road. Great uh, great way to find out what the Aussies are doing. Keep your ears on. We spent a bit of time on last week's show because of uh, an interesting conversation that took place, Hazy, and you were away at the time, but Matthew Griffin, Australian Touring Pro, um, made some comments about the pressure that perhaps we were laying at the feet of some of the, particularly the younger players in world golf by um, adding them into social media commentary during tournaments and then picking up on that and feeling the weight of expectation uh, that they have to carry. Well, we had a chat about it last week, and the man who authored some of the counterpoints to all of that has been good enough to join us on the show this week. Hello, Matthew. Hi, guys. Thanks, thanks for having me. Uh, did you realise when you weighed in to that, because it did drag a few people into the chat, and we it sort of ran for a, a day, and we had a chat on it last week's show. Did you realise that it was likely to you know have a counter view that was going to be as fiercely defended by some? Probably, probably not as much as I thought. I mean, sometimes with with Twitter, especially, you've got to probably think three hours down the track and see what the <laughs> what the reaction is going to be. And it'd probably been a probably an issue that I just maybe I'd I'd felt for maybe twelve months or so that had probably been pushing a few of the younger guys. And I know it probably just to clarify, I know it was after Ryan Ruffles had had a tough last day, and I wasn't singling Ryan out I think it's just in general with the with the younger guys and very much I've had a few people come back to me on Twitter and say oh don't you want us to speak about anyone in golf and I, I very much mean the young young guys first second year coming out um, not anyone someone said to me the other day that Scott Hender's a young golfer and I thought oh well Hendy's 44 I think I'm 30 I don't consider myself a young golfer at 34 so um, just those guys in their early stage of their career. You were in the early stages of your career here. You were, you know, in feature groups on Saturdays and Sundays. And I remember doing interviews with you on putting greens before rounds, you know, live to air on commercial TV coverages. You were always happy to say yes. You would have been in your mid to late 20s, maybe even your mid 20s at the start, at that stage. You were never afraid to say, yeah, I'll have a chat to you, no problems at all. It clearly didn't affect you. Are you, are you happy to say that, no, you were able to cope with it maybe – other people can't. Is that you, is that the sort of position you're coming from? No, I think um, I think probably it's probably more the Twitter, and I think there's so much access to it these days. I think that as a golfer, if you're on the on the coverage, if you're in the last groups, I think you've got to expect that there'll be an interview and people asking how you're going to go. I think it it can get a little bit much when guys are. I noticed that just for example with Ryan's last day on the on the Saturday night before his round there was a lot of talk about if he finishes here you'll get PJ Tour if he finishes here this gets him into the playoffs i think to just when it social media especially it can just be such a when you're getting hit from four or five different angles 
younger guys, if they're looking at their social media, maybe they don't sleep as well the night before. It just it just all adds adds to that pressure that they know they know that's coming the next day. Would that they'd know that though, wouldn't they? I mean, well, and I I put it to you, Matt, that you know the guys um, benefit more from the expanded knowledge of the of the community generally than that detracts from their ability to play the game because of that information. Because if if that information wasn't disseminated in one little story, the questions would bounce. What if Ryan Ruffles finishes seventh at the Canadian Open? Where where does that get him? And and you spend all day picking apart. Whereas the stories that we generally write, uh, you know, try to tell everyone everything in one little one little hit to sort of get it done with. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think there needs to be um, definitely the public need to be told. Probably part of part of the point was maybe that whether that player needs to be tagged with yeah. a hashtag at Ryan Ruffles or hashtag at Curtis no, Lark. That's a really valid point. Hashtag reckon, at yeah. Hannah Green. Because you're going to get that. That publicity will still come out. And, and these young guys are also on. Young guys and girls are getting good sponsorship. So they've got to accept that there's going to be a certain level of media coverage around them if they're going to take that money. And that's that does help them, help them get that. I, I, just, I just want to put on the record more than anything that, I, you know, I... I absolutely respect Matty's opinion, and I think we said that last mm-hmm. week, and I yep. chatted to him on the phone about it as well. Um, so I've got no problems with that. But I, it made me actually think enough to call a few of the guys who are coming through um, the you know, the elite touring amateurs, if that makes sense right now, to, just to get their feeling on it. And I'm I'm sure you're not surprised, Matt, because you've been, you've been um, part of the drum and golf camp since you know the day dot, and they've been an awesome sponsor to you. But a lot of the players said, no, 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 we love it keep tagging us in, keep tagging us in because our sponsors are, are, are aware of it or our pending sponsors or we need to get sponsorship and without a name, we don't have this sort of uh, coverage at all. Uh, what do you say to that? I mean, it, it, it is a crucial part of developing yourself as a young player, isn't it? Oh, it is definitely. And it, you've, I guess, why I've always said yes to media interviews and, and coming on when it, whenever you can, as it does, you always are promoting the brands that you've drum and golf and other supporters that you have. So I guess the players do take a bit of it on. I, I just think we can get – my probably point is that it just gets – when it comes from so many angles and just repetitive repetitive stuff and building up. And I've seen a few – there's been a few times where guys have been going well. It's nine holes into the first round and it's – upcoming superstar or yeah, no, this sort of yeah, stuff yeah, and yeah, yeah. I guess a, a golf tournament 72 holes they're a lot they go f- four days it's a lot of golf for for example my last year in Japan last year had if you'd if they'd paid money out after the first two rounds I would have been a millionaire fan- <laughs> I would have been, had, a, had a fantastic had a fantastic first two rounds but my second two rounds were were terrible and that in Japan, we don't get much social. There's no social media, so no one. So I'm not saying that that it was that pressure that caused that, but I could, I didn't put four rounds together last year, and in the end, I just scraped to keep my card. But probably from that perspective, it just says says that it's easy to sprout off these things early, but we've just got to maybe wait, especially with these younger guys, until Sunday's done. Then when they have a great result, blow it up and say, "Fantastic, well done." If they, and then alternately, if they have a bad result, it should be it should be reported as well. Ali, I, I venture to suggest that on the on the women's tour, there's more social media activity from amongst the players than there is on the men's. 
major global time just has any a guess. I think that would probably be my gut feel. Is it asking too much of players, taking Maddie's point on board, to ask them if they are that way inclined to feel the pressure and not want to know that everybody's talking about them during an event, to turn their phone off for four days? Like just, okay, from Thursday morning until Sunday afternoon, I'm just not going to engage. I'm, I'm, is that asking too much these days? Well, you can turn notifications off on Twitter, on Instagram, on those those forms of social media. But, I mean, for me, I kind of want to play devil's advocate a little bit um, in that I was thrown back like when Maddie talked about like the next big thing and that kind of thing. I, when I first went to America to play in the US Amateur, I played really well over there. And um, and all of the Americans were like, yeah, she's the next big thing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I've never been called that <laughs> ever in yeah. my career. And it's like that whole they want to get on board with the superstar thing. And, I, and I've seen a lot of people be called that in the US and have it not come about as well. So what, what that does to a person must be a tricky dynamic to kind of not feel like you've you've thwarted your, your talent in a way. But um, I do think as a general rule, I've actually kind of liked the build-up of the younger players. I don't think a, a healthy ego in terms of golf – hurts a lot mm. of people as a general rule I feel like it, it generally helps in those pressure situations where you think yeah I have the best short game in Australia yep I'm going for it you know and and having that um that release of of hormones that keeps you calm in those situations um but yeah I feel like we do have sometimes Aussies struggle with building superstars because we have kind of the tall poppy syndrome as well in a way. Um, but I know, I know that Maddie's specifically more, and you've all been discussing the timing of it, yeah, but yeah, yeah. as a general rule, I think particularly, you know, in off weeks and not, and, and building the profiles when it's not the night before a final round, um, I think it's really important in golf and we need it to keep golf on the map in a way. Well, Hazy, you probably shoulder as big a burden and responsibility as just about anyone in Australia Mm. uh, as the media manager for Golf Australia and somebody whose job it is to make sure that we, you know, the broader sports-loving population of Australia in particular, know who these young players are. And and you want to sort of cash in, don't you, on when they have got their – you do turn the TV on on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning, whatever it might be, and there is – you know, a young Australian name on the leaderboard, that is a golden opportunity for somebody in the position that you find yourself. Yeah, from my personal perspective, I mean, Maddie writes about, uh, you know, a handful of people, and, I, and clearly I'm one of those because there are only a handful of us who actually do that role. So, you know, I, I could name them all here. There's probably five or six people who mm. constantly put out updates, written updates. Um, that's excluding radio and television, of course. And I'm one of those, so I, I, I take that on board, which is why I think this discussion's fantastic. It's really valid, yeah. But from my professional point of view, it's imperative that I pick up on anything that's positive about golf and try to grab five minutes of limelight and knock out a netball, a rugby league, an AFL, whatever it is. It's it's my job to try and get golf up and about in the, in the broader media. Mm. Um, we won't do that by being shrinking violets. And I need the guys and girls um, to actually engage because we've said here several times we can't get to Adam Scott yet. We're trying our best on the podcast, but 
we can't get to the upper echelon and I need to maintain these communications channels right through from the, the people very first representing Australia right up to when they make their major championship debut. It's it's imperative. I've known Matt for a while. We all have. Um, he's been one of the best mm. at staying in contact with us and always being accessible. And I think we run the risk of losing that if we don't engage when they do well in particular. So I don't want to um, sort of put out a, a half-baked story. Oh, Matt Griffin went pretty well. His back 36 wasn't as good as his front 36, but he finished tied 74th and banked a nice little check. That's not going to get a run in the Sydney Morning Herald. What might is if I say, you know, Matt Griffin's up and about, he can win the Daikyo Championship or whatever it is you play for. Uh, you know, he, if he has a good weekend this weekend, you know, get around him, Australia. And yeah. that's like, oh, whoa. We'll jump on board. We'll on. jump on board, and it, and it's a, and it, it's an interesting sort of juxtaposition, personally and professionally, because I want to personally, you know, make sure I do whatever I can to make all the guys and girls as successful as they can be. But professionally, you know, we've got to seize the opportunity whenever we can. Yeah, I I was talking to a couple of players about this in in the last few weeks on the golf course, and it's a trend that I've noticed, particularly in the women's game, obviously, because that's mainly where I'm based, but. Um, a lot of the players will say, and I'm sure you've heard people say this as well, Maddie. They only talk to me when I'm playing good, and and it's something that we all like. <laughs> yeah. It is as players, we've you know Matt and I have both had that where someone will say, "Hey," and walk straight past you because you're not in the top ten that week, and they don't have to talk to you. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I, I kind of understand it a little bit more because their timing is so that they have to be focusing on the main stories that week, but. It's something that I've actively tried to fight because I remember feeling that way. Like I've walked past commentators on the LPGA, on LET and gone, I don't think she even knows my name. Yeah, right. And I'm a player. And so, and that's kind of hard to get your head around. I'm sure Matt has had similar things where you walk past, you know, and commentators are, you know, I, I don't want to have a dig at my fellow colleagues, but it's something that I think we can all work on is, is yeah, keeping on for the for those other moments as well. Yeah, well, I think there's a great a great example of that at the Open Championship a few weeks ago. Um, finishing the first round after having quite a quite a, d- a decent day, starting starting well, you've got three or four Aussie reporters over there jumping down your throat, ready f- asking for any comment. And obviously, I had a bad a bad back nine on Friday, but you walk off and the media media guy at the Open goes, "Oh, come over here to the Australian Australian area," and there's no one there, and I would have been obviously disappointed. I was had a had a tough day, but I was happy to happy to talk. And I would actually think that almost gives you better better TV than someone who's walked off the course and had a decent first day. They're tied thirtieth, nothing, not like they're leading, and you're going to give give some good quotes and, and tell tell it how it is. So it do, does need to be balanced balanced out a bit. Is, that's a really and, good point, and that's part of a yeah, part of the, my point. I think is it can be very, very quiet and then extremely loud. If a guy goes out, they might start the third round in tied sixtieth, and no one's talking about them. They shoot eight under, and suddenly the world's blown up. And that's a good point. So. The logistics of this are incredible too. I mean, I always try to make it a point to get to as many people as I know. Every tournament, oh, how'd you go? Oh, 75. Oh, well, what happened? Was there as a whole? Just have a conversation, even if it's not for publication or whatever, just to let them know that you're interested and care. And I totally agree with Matty. And a couple of years ago, I had a ripping interview with Scott Hen when he missed the cut at the Open. It was some of the most colourful stuff I've ever seen as a journalist. But had Jason Day been making a charge up the leaderboard at that time, 
or if I'd been down, you know, at Amen Corner watching, um, you know, Tiger Woods on his way to shooting a 58 at Augusta, there's no way I can get back and talk to someone who's had a 77 and my editor won't be interested in. And it's a really interesting position for any reporter to find themselves. And I actually was conversing with a couple of them who are at Birkdale who said, you know, oh, this is really hard logistically. And, and yes, it is. And it's another problem. It's not like football or netball or everything where we can actually sit and watch it from a comfy press box, go down after the game and say, oh, geez, you played well today, Ali. Matty, you were sensational today. It's over an area that's absolutely out of control how large it is. You, yeah, can, you yeah. can walk 25 kilometers a day as a, as a golf journalist if you're fair income, and you'll never, ever get to everyone you want to get to. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. And if you miss one key shot or one key moment, you're an idiot in everyone else's eyes. And it's, it's, I'm not crying poor. It's a, it's a good job to have, but it's not easy logistically. Well, he, isn't, wouldn't this be a great reality that if the game had such a broad interest in Australia like it did you know when, when you were a wee boy and I was a couple of years older than you but it was back page front page dominating you know ratings numbers on commercial TV like the golf channel feeds the machine in America wouldn't it be great if there was an outlet in Australia where every story had a place to be told unfortunately the moment in Australia it's only a Greg Norman-esque car crash or you know, an Australian shooting 63 to get into contention. Unfortunately, all the stories that you're talking about, Matty, and UL, um, there's no place for them. We can go and knock them over and get them on tape, and well, what do we do with them next? But if there was a one-stop shop and, you know, GA's media arm or, the P- or whatever it was, everything sort of – there was one place where all these stories could be told and housed, well, that there's golfing nirvana from a media perspective at least. Yeah, well, I think I think just getting the players and the media to understand each other a little bit better mm. it would be helpful, and it's something that I've seen a lot of. Like even even the Aussie girls, like talking to a couple of them last week, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, haven't really haven't really heard much from you know." And I, I did something really good to get into the British Open, or you know, those kind of things, and it, and they they feel almost dis- disenfranchised by it, and and it's funny because they're kind of sensitive. Like golfers in the in the nicest way, they want. When they play well, they want to be noticed, but also they want you to say hi when you walk mm, past them mm. because otherwise they feel like they're not worth the time of you know of the media, which is a really hard thing to get your mind around. Um, given that you see you know players like Tiger Woods and those guys getting media all the time, mm. um, just finding the balance and finding a, a symbiotic relationship between the players because you'll end up like I say you, it's me as well, but the media will end up having better access due to a better relationship with the players and mm. just, you know, this discussions like these where Maddie understands Hazy's point of view and and I sit somewhere between the middle and it's a hard position to be, but just finding a way where everyone gets the roles and, and knows what sells on the media side and then they understand, you know, what the players are going through. So we get more access in the end, I think, as a general rule no of the press. No yeah. No doubt. Um well, it's good. It's a good conversation that wouldn't we wouldn't have been having without you providing your counterpoint to it all. So good on you for it's. It's better than that. Footing. It's great and it's rare. Yeah, like I, I just think it's it doesn't matter if you know if if Matt and I came to punches on Twitter, that would be fine because it would actually you know 
get some points of view across yeah. and allow the conversation to take place. And well, especially, he actually said before, Twitter and think in the one sentence. I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we touch, like get a clear view of about where you're at, going back to Japan and what's in front of you, let, let's talk about some of the other bigger issues that have been rolling around. And you are a thoughtful, you're a thinker of the game. Where are you on, we, we've spent, uh, this is our 12th episode doing this, and we probably haven't had too many episodes where we haven't mentioned anchoring as an issue Uh given you know, what some of the old boys are doing and what was happening at the British Open or the Open Championship. Where, where are you? You would have been watching this. You would have been seeing it. Where are you at with this one at the moment? I've always been pretty strongly, strongly against it. And I think probably the biggest mistake was when the RNA and the USGA changed, changed the rule and, and didn't make it. The putter had to be the shortest club in the bag or under a, under a certain length because they've left this massive grey area that whether they deliberately did it or not or... For what for what reason, uh, it it does put a cloud over a lot of guys. Whether that's fair or unfair, um, it it just doesn't it just doesn't look right. So we were talking about with I think it was with Clates a couple of weeks ago, um, and I was interested to hear read what Dot Grant Dodd was offering um, after Bernard Langer and Scotty McCarran had brought this very much to a head a couple of weeks ago. By the way, they were putting in one of the seniors' events over in the states. Um, the, the pressure on playing partners. If how difficult would it be for you if you're playing with someone and you see this? Well, you can. How, how how difficult is it for you to take this beyond you going? Well, that's not right to the next level, and actually believe that something is going to be done about that. Is that whistling Dixie that you think that something might actually be altered? A player's behaviour might be changed because of concerns that you as a fellow player might have? I think it's extremely difficult for a player because there's such a, that grey area and I don't think the players have the confidence that if they were to say something there'd be the support that yep. would come back and, and back them up and then I guess you look get looked on as a bit of a lagger. Uh, as a lagger. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine what would happen if you were paired with Bernard Langer and you dobbed him in? Oh, it'd blow up. It'd be incredible and, and the hardest thing is that no one can definitively say that he is doing it yeah and he might not to for Bernard but my my view on it is that guys can they might not anchor the putter 99 times out of 100 but what's to say that they've got a four foot on the last to one make the cut one make win win a tournament that 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 hand just doesn't slip back onto the onto the onto the chest and helps them out on on that 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 no one, whether, whether, no one's to say that yeah, no, but no one's to say that he that that he or she doesn't do that. They just that that moment becomes so big that they do just press it rather than lean it on the flapping shirt. I mean, Mark Allen, great mate of ours, yeah. Hazy, and you know everybody involved in Australian golf. He, he's very black and white on this, he, and it comes down to dollars and cents as far as Marco's concerned. He's big on this, and it's sort of you know hard for Matty to probably say what he wants without getting himself in trouble. But you know, I'll, I'll not I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but I'll re-paraphrase Mark Allen. It's costing these guys and girls money hmm. every time that a guy or a girl hits a shot that's questionable and it's allowed to go on. If there's any cheating involved, it's costing Matt Griffin cash. They're bleeding cash. These are guys aren't made of money. They're struggling week in, week out, sometimes haven't got a tournament to play in. And people, um, rightly or wrongly, achieving better results because of what they're doing, 
questionably or un- otherwise. I'm I'm still saying that um, Bernard Langer is innocent because I think he would dob himself in because I think that's the bloke he is. Yep. But it's not the point. It's just not the point. And there are other people doing it too, and it's costing a lot of people a lot of cash every you, week. Have you had a view on this, Al? Uh, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things that I feel like we're going to – I just – I know exactly where Maddie stands on this in that from a – it almost has to come from the players because they're the ones that see it the closest mm. um, or the caddies. But you just – when you're on tour, you don't want the drama. You just don't want to have to think, mm. I don't want to be paired with that person. You don't want to give yourself any reasons to complicate your workplace. So um, if it's going to come from anywhere, it, it's going to come probably from outside the ropes because of that, um, unless it's maybe a caddy that likes, you know, We're stirring the pot a little bit. Well, I'm shaking my head because it's going to come from a major tour. No, it's not because they don't want Bernard. The, the Champions Tour does not want Bernard Langer involved in any sort of rules fiasco. They just don't. Is it going to come from the USGA or the RNA or the you know, golf's governing bodies around the world. No, it's not because they don't want any controversy in their tournaments. So is it going to come? No. Is it costing people money? Yes. Is it wrong for the image of the game? 100% it is, whether it's cheating or not. Uh, you know, we keep talking about this and it's trying, it's trying to get action and, it, and unfortunately it falls on a lot of deaf ears. So the more it happens, have you got something you want to say about that? Yeah, I, was, I, I just I, I think it's, it's really unfortunate because every, every time a player that does use the longer putter and, and it kind of becomes a grey area. Every time someone like a Bernard Langer or a Scott McCarran has a good week, the issue blows up. Of course it does. And it, it takes the gloss off their good performances that, that, that they have, um, which which is can be unfair whether they do it or not. Is they're probably really the only ones who know. So it doesn't if help. They could clear the issue. It would. Sorry, Matty. Make it a lot clearer. It doesn't help either, does it, that you know they're one and two or two and three on the money list and the putting stats? No, well, it, it, it doesn't. Well, you've got a guy. You've got a guy up in Japan who's top. Is he? I know he's top ten. Might be top five, and he became um, central to this discussion during the Open Championship because he shoots sixty five or whatever he shot on the Saturday to catapult himself into contention. So there's another guy who, on a major tour now around the world, is making a lot of money, and we're talking about Sean Norris, and sits. Top, I think he's top five order of merit. Certainly top yeah, he's, ten. He's a long, he's a long way. He's definitely yeah. top ten. So this is this is not this is not a hypothetical conversation we're having. Oh, what if a guy or a girl you know is making a lot of money? You're talking about one and two or two and three on the scene. You're talking about a guy who's top five in Japan, there or thereabouts. So this is actually happening. It just seems incredible. And I'll say it again, and you just you are peeing in the breeze here. But <laughs> it just seems incredulous. You take. I take on board what you're saying, Hazy, but just cut the thing in half. Like, just make it – just this is what it is, guys. It's the club used for the shortest stroke in the game. It will be the shortest club in your bag. It's just going to be the shortest club in your bag. And end of story. Just, you know. It would be, it would be simple. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program, 
program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. Hey, it's Jeff Ogilvy. I can't be in Australia very often, but I love keeping up with everything on Inside the Ropes podcast. Good bunch of guys, and I love listening. What other issues do you see generally um, that could be resolved in your mind pretty quickly in the game of golf? Oh, that's a that's a tough question. I'm probably going to get myself in trouble again. With uh, I, I think you look at you look at the length the ball's going. That that could definitely is is probably getting a little bit out of hand. I know. I know Clates, Clates is big. He's really big on this, and there's there's no doubt that I guess as athletes develop over time, the hundred meter hundred meter running, the time goes down. Players will hit the ball further with the same equipment over time. It's just the way human human interact with their sport, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is getting quite ridiculous how far some of these guys are hitting the, hitting the golf ball and it's cha- it is changing a lot of these great golf courses. Well, Augusta. Augusta this week. Uh, I mean, they're, they're stretching. The, they have to find extra yards. At, you okay. write the story for golf.org. Yeah, Augusta's my great hope. I, I mean, I'm not a massive fan of all the green jackets per se, but uh, they're the great hope in that they've got such power in the game of golf that they can act independently in theory and actually change what happens. They could make you go and hit a hot dot for that week, you know, and just play the game as it once was. Love hot dots, Andy. <laughs> but, I bet you if you find a hot dot now, you hit one in the rubbish, and you go in there and you think, oh, there's a ball over there, it's under a bit of, and you pick it up as a hot dot, you don't put that in your bag. You chuck it no, over the fence. straight too. in the dam. Yeah, of course it you is. Practice yeah. one into the dam. Yeah. But yeah, the, the point being is that they've opted against standing up against what Maddie's talking about there this week by buying land at the Augusta Country Club. And what we're going to see is a tee back 50 metres further off the 13th. And that's their way of making sure that 13th remains viable as a as, as a risk-reward par 5. That's not good when you're starting to ramble. Risk-reward par 5. Um, so, you know, that they've taken a step backwards in my eyes in, in the fight against the ball by buying more land. This option's not available to everyone. It's uh, only, only when you've got the capacity to financially buy out half the state of Georgia can you keep building these... Uh, <laughs> Building these courses, and I, I'm going to send out. I'm going to put a shot across someone's bow here, Andy. Go on, Alan Shipnuck, who's a contributor on Sports Illustrated and a complete raving lunatic when it comes oh, to some. It's not the first some, time you've lined him up. No, well, he needs it sometimes, and he's advocating 9,000 yard courses still, just like my dear friend Brandel Chambly. Uh, this is ridiculous beyond belief. So I mean, sorry, Maddie, I'm probably taking it where you couldn't, but uh, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying, and I'm sure it's one of several issues you have in your mind, and you didn't want my gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> I want to put one on the agenda for you, Maddie, and you other two. Um, in the lead up to the PGA Championship this week, players, as they have been elsewhere around the world, were allowed to wear shorts in practice tournaments. And it did get people talking again. We play a lot of golf here in Australia, in particular in extremely hot weather, where I imagine for you blokes, and the, we see the girls dress comfortably, even though that's been an issue, Al, in recent times, um, <laughs> where you think, it'd be nice to be able to stroll out in a pair of shorts. Slip slops, they do all the right things, but we're not allowed to. Um, Ken Schofield, who was the executive, once upon a time the executive director of the European Tour, did it for a long, long, long time, nearly 30 years. I don't know where you can put a ke- pit, uh, set of cans on between the two of you, but... Uh, the issue of shorts being worn in uh, tournament golf was raised again. Uh, this is what dear old Ken, CBE, this is what dear old Ken had to say about it. I must say, uh, Todd, I'm very disappointed and surprised to see today the great Phil Mickelson celebrate on the one hand his 100th major. I'm counting that I've been on the grounds for 90 of Phil's 
99 to date. And I didn't hope or expect to see his white legs coming out of white shorts down into white shoes. You know, his career has been sensational. And I've listened only a few moments ago to Daniel Berger, a wonderful young gentleman, making his way now in the world of golf, saying, well, it's normal and it's natural. Daniel, I'm sorry it's not. Today, the stars, which are the players of which he's won, looked similar to the caddies, and I get the fact caddies wear shorts. They lug huge heavyweight bags around, and they deserve to wear shorts. But the gallery paid today to come and see the stars. They can wear shorts, and they did. But I'm sorry, Phil, and your colleagues, get back into pants. Be like baseball players and cricketers. Discuss, please. Oh. What's his first name? Ken. 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 Oh, Ken. Ken. Come on. Ken, oh, mate. He was the executive director of the European Tour from 1975 to 2004. He's, um, you know, he's been awarded birthday honours from the Queen. He's in the World Golf Hall of Fame. His contribution to the game is clearly, you know, an extraordinary one. I'm not saying that you necessarily want to wear shorts, Maddie. You know, this applies to you more than it does to any of us. But this is to have a view like that, and we're trying to make the game. You know, we're trying to keep it modern and progressive and appealing to players to play. I mean that that is such a that is such a retrograde view. I would have thought. I'd be keen to get your thoughts on it. No, I completely agree. There's plenty of bigger issues in golf than players wearing shorts in practice rounds. (laughs) What about... What does he want us to do, Andy? Does he want us to go back to the 17th century? Maybe we should put some pantaloons on or something like that. I don't know what he wants. I don't know what he wants. Really flare it up a bit. But what about the next step? You say practice rounds, no problems. But what about tournament rounds? What What if the option was there for you to wear? You know, you're playing in 90 degree humidity... Uh, it's a 29-degree day, so I imagine you get some pretty you know, um, challenging environmental conditions up in Japan. We certainly do here in Australia. We do everywhere. It's a summer, by and large, it's a summer game. Um, what if the option was there for you to wear shorts? Oh, you'd, you'd take it for sure, I think. Um, we, we play in some extreme, extreme conditions in the next two weeks when I go back to Japan. We'll be playing, it'll be mid-30s and... 80, 90% Human. humidity. Yeah. Yeah, it will be, it'll, be hor- it'll be horrible out there, and if you could wear shorts, it would help. Just help that little bit. Not everyone will do it, but it's nice to have nice to have the option. I remember playing a Victorian Open at Spring Valley when we were in the midst of the drought. It was forty six degrees, and we're out there in pants. It's just it's it's crazy. I think. And I know guys talk about these players not being most of the golfers are athletes these days, so it's not gonna it's not gonna look ridiculous. And but who cares just, if it does? No, who cares if you got legs like me? It's still, or it's still Phil, Mick, it's Phil Mickelson, whether he's wearing shorts or pants. It's I don't change. Some of those possums falling out of tree at Spring Valley, they were in their long pants, Andy, that day. <laughs> well, it was extraordinary. What, I, I, it, it, Matt, you're in the field of the uh, – <laughs> I think it was the um, Surf Coast knockout. You're in that field. Yes. When that was allowable for the week because of the new funky format. Good on Langers. Yeah, which is awesome from Langers. Yeah. We love Langers dearly. There were some pretty odd-shaped legs <laughs> out there. Let's be honest. I don't know if you want to name names. I won't. I won't name names. I've probably been controversial enough recently. <laughs> <laughs> but was it the two? There, there were some odd shaped legs, but it, you know what? No one talked about it. It was on the surf coast. It fitted in perfectly. Of I mean, it if did. you wore long pants in those conditions, people would question your sanity. Uh, you, you want people to feel engaged, and and you know, oh Ken, I just 
you know, seriously, <laughs> this is why golf is such, you know, has a such staid sort of atmosphere around it from an outsider's perspective. We're all inside the, the, inside the tent. We look at it from a different way. This is what people outside the game look at us and go, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Well, like going from neck to knee in, in at the Bondi Beach. It's just outrageous. I lived through the age where you, when I was a junior member at Commonwealth, you have to, you had to have walk, walking socks pulled up to just below your knee. So you're a 21 year old kid going out, and you're getting your mates to come down and play golf in the middle of summer. You Sunday afternoon, you're bringing three mates down to Commonwealth because they've heard about the course and they want to go and play it. And say, oh boys, by the way, um, you got to wear socks pulled up to your knees and they have never worn socks pulled up to their knees not since they're in grade five in 1975 have they worn and you think what these folks they probably don't want to play now because of this ridiculous no one is suggesting come on with thongs and footy shorts no No one's suggesting that for a second but you know it's and we've if if we can do anything to get get the stuffiness away from golf we need to do it it was Playing the memorial a couple of months ago, I was fascinated by how big the tournament was and how big the crowds were, and sort of trying to compare it to why can't we get that back at home? Mm. And it's a big the tournament, so that they're a big party. People go there, they're they're drinking, they're having they're having a good time, and there's such a different demographic. It's a young demographic at the golf. There's people there that aren't necessarily there to watch the golf. They're there just similar to the Spring racing carnival picnic so, atmosphere. Whereas, yeah, if if we make it too stuffy, that 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 doesn't work, uh, and we've got to do everything we can to try and engage that younger audience. Uh, before we let you go, and you've been really generous with your time, uh, back to Japan next week for you. Uh, home home next week, and then Japan right, okay, the week yep. after, and yep, really busy busy schedule towards the end of the year, and hopefully all going well. I'll be able to get back for a couple of the Aussie events to finish. Can you use your significant influence to try and get some of the Japanese tour available to the rest of us so we can actually watch it somehow? I it can... is the great mystery. We've spoken to you about this before. It's one of the great mysteries of world golf. <laughs> it is. It's uh, people don't people don't believe you've got a guy like Brendan Jones up there who's played one fourteen times, had a really successful career, and no one really knows who he is. He plays an Australian event and not many people, unless you're a really avid golf fan, you don't know who this who this guy is. It's, if only it's, we it's tagged crazy. him in on Twitter, Andy. <laughs> oh, sorry, Matty. That was a cheap shot. That was a bad, bad Maybe at the, end, at the end of tournaments it would be fine. <laughs> uh, just So you've got a little stretch of tournaments coming up between now and potentially the end of the year as much as you kind of want to play, really. Can you tell us, before you came on, you are telling us about uh, this match play event that you've qualified for the final 32. I was looking at all your stuff and I, there was no mention of that anywhere that I've noticed. Can you tell us quickly about that? Yes. Yeah, even even to the players, it's a bit of a mysterious event. We had They've had eight automatic qualifiers to the top 32 and then the rest had to play off. So we had two matches you had to get through. The draw was wild. I ended up coming up against the number one on the order merit for some some unknown reason. Maybe that was to knock out a couple of couple of foreigners but right. <laughs> fortunately got through a couple of matches and um we'll go back we go back in about three weeks time for the top 32 matches and run straight through to to the sponsored by isps hander who's a great supporter of um, australian golf so really really good event big big money so important one to play well my season's been a little bit off off track up there i've missed a few events and haven't played as well as i'd like so a good event good event there and i can be back Back on track. Do you, you're, I just again, golf statistics are a 
they, they, my head spins a little bit trying to work it. But your numbers look better than your um, current position in the money order. Is that a fair route? Your numbers actually look pretty good. Very much so. Actually, I've, I credit to your research. You've, uh, <laughs> you've dug deep to find those. I had to do it. was hard work. <laughs> uh, but no, very. I was actually having a look at it earlier and um, they do – the numbers kind of suggest I'd be sitting 20th, 30th exactly. on the order merit, whereas exactly. I'm sitting about 80th. And yeah. part of that's I've, the two events I've played well are the smaller money events. So obviously that doesn't translate, but um, it's it's hard to exp- explain. But I guess the good thing with that is that underlying it shows my form's not too bad. Mm. So hopefully it'll will turn around quickly. Good luck, mate. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having us in. Matthew giving our special guest on Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows? Maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf. G'day guys, it's Brian Russell here, and I'm a long way from home, playing on the Latin America tour and living in the US, but I keep up with all my Australian golf policy inside the road. Fantastic having uh, Matthew Griffin in the studio, and that was uh, a very good, spirited conversation. And he left bruised, but not bloodied, so... <laughs> I think you both uh, held your own, and uh, you it was a very honourable and respectful conversation. Yeah. Go, go No, on. well, I, just, I think those conversations are really important. I agree um, with you. I think yep. learning for the players to understand the media side of things, that, yep, these guys have to write... They have to write articles that are going to sell, that are going to go to places around the world. So that's why they can't talk about you when you've missed the cut. But just finding that balance so that, you know, they do give more access to the media and they don't feel shunned by them. I think that's really important. Spot on. And you know what? And of course, Scott Hand isn't the type of player that, you know, Matthew Griffin was talking about. But wouldn't it be great if, by virtue of everyone saying at the end of the third round of the Bridgestone, Scott Hand is in the final group, Scott Hand is in contention, Scott Hand is facing the biggest day of his golfing life, yeah. uh, get up and watch it. If 50,000 extra Australians knew that Scott Hand was going through that as it was happening than prior, or would have had there not been uh, a focus on you know where he was placed uh, because we didn't want to you know, put too much pressure on him or you know whatever the... Well, well, that's a good that's a good thing. I would have thought. Yeah, and and he's a guy who's had a very long career, but it's been pretty much undersold for a very long time. Found his way into the Australian Olympic team um, last year, and people didn't know him, no. which is a real pity. And he's such a character. I mean, he can be loose, but he's such a character. Uh, Australian golf fans and sports fans in particular would, uh, in general rather, would really warm to him if they. Let him into their uh, into their land rooms, Andy. There's no doubt about that. So that's what we would try to make happen. It's as simple as that. He's playing the best golf of his life right now. Well, I just don't. I don't want the next generation to get to their 30s and 40s and have people not know their names when no. they've been pivotal in golf. Like I talked to Sarah Jane Smith doing the interview, and she said, "I've been on one of the stalwarts of the LPGA in Australian golf, and people have no idea who I am it's back a good, home." Really good point. And yep. and you know, obviously. When you win, you get shot straight 
into the top of the media, but building those characters. Like you listen, you guys heard the interview. She's a legend. Yeah. She's so funny. She's and people just think, you know, oh, she's this lovely girl, but she's got this ripping sense of humour. Mm. And so just I think that's our job, and especially on Inside the Ropes, because we've got a little bit more leeway to, to show those people and, and build their characters so that people can get invested. I agree. 100%. It's the, it's the critical factor of all sports coverage. If you know a little bit about the people you're watching, you're more engaged and you're into it. No doubt. And that's no exactly doubt. how swimming survives, for example. You know, when it's not, let's be honest, and I love the swimmers, don't get me wrong, it's not a great spectator sport. But we all know all the trials and tribulations of watching that black line for the last six years mm. while well, they've been a 12-year-old having braces on and all this stuff as they come up through Burley Heads Grammar School or whatever it is. We know it. And we watch it because we know that person. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Um, Jeff Hugel, he's the guy who had these weight battles. Uh, you know, all this stuff. And, and that's where we've got to get golfers. Spot on. Um, so from the Bridgestone leading into the PGA Championship, uh, do we take a fair bit away from the fact that Jason Day, albeit he sort of burped on himself a little bit, Late in rounds on Saturday and Sunday, mm. his form did appear to be finishes tied twenty four. Certainly, Hendon Scott beat him home from an Australian perspective, but it felt like there was something a bit familiar to the way Jason Day, albeit again with a bit of a pinch muscle in his back or something at one stage there. But yeah. there's something a bit familiar about the way Day started to play in that tournament. That's interesting you say that, Andy. I'm more interested in your take than mine because I didn't get that sense you at all. You did not at all. I, I, got, okay, yeah. I got the sense that he had a hot nine holes where okay. he had nine putts. Was it Friday or Saturday? Yeah. And I thought that sort of carried him through the rest of the week. Okay. That's how I took so I'm well, I, in No, I'm just, my view was it could have been a whole – my counter view to that is that had he not lost the four shots on the Saturday and the Sunday in the last – Four holes, yep. I think it was. Well, he's right there. Yeah, he's right there. So um, he's just got to hopefully tidy a couple of things up. But it just felt like for the first time in a little while that he seemed to Good. be a bit more aggressive and confident. Oh, now, I could maybe that's wishful thinking on my behalf. Well, next You're... time we sit when we sit here next week, well, <laughs> he's probably got an MC alongside his name, <laughs> and I'll go, Hazy, you read it better than I did, that's for sure. No, you're a good judge of horse flesh, horse flesh Andy, well, so that's, uh, that's encouraging for him, I'd suggest. We'd be buying Hideki Matsuyama right now if we could, wouldn't we? I'd, if, you're, oh, if you're going day. to sales and you saw that young fella walk being paraded out, since – so he shoots 61 in the final round to win by five – since missing the first of three cuts from four events, um, starting at the Memorial last year, which is just over a year ago, he's had um, 30 starts since then. He's only missed two cuts since then. He's had six wins, a further six top tens, and a further seven top 25s. His form is white hot. Like right now, he is, and he's climbed to number three on the world rankings. Right now, he, over that sort of 12-month period, hard to argue that despite the fact that he doesn't have a major alongside his name, that he's not the best player on the planet at this particular point in time. Well, he's got form as well on this golf course. He finished 11th there last year, I think it was. So um, he's got some decent memories. He's contended there. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, it's It's just kind of one of those golf courses, isn't it, where you, you see a couple of players get super streaky on it, like mm. where they just feel super comf- comfortable. You look at McElroy's record, he's won twice. He's had, what, four other top tens out of his last mm, seven starts there. Incredible. Um, and similar with Phil Mickelson, again, he's had, what, three, eight, eight top tens in the last 
maybe 11 years, I think. So um, granted, the, the, the course has changed. It changed mm. from Bent to Bermuda Greens in 2013. So they're two different golf courses. But he, he played well either side of that change. And um, another one, Ricky Fowler as well, another streaky player. So um, I just think, you know, it's just one of those places in the world where you, you just, when you get some confidence around that track, you're in trouble in a good way. <laughs> yeah, and, and the Quail Hollows, you know, it's an iconic Sort of club without ever having hosted a major, so I think mm-hmm. it's great that we add that one to the to the ro- the rotor if there's such a thing in American golfing <laughs> majors. But uh, I think uh, going back to Hideki for a second, we talked about earlier on the show about the pressure you feel to win, and I think he's broken through so many barriers, and he's won two of those have been WGCs. He's he's on fire, but no Japanese male has been uh, I think at least one, maybe two women, I'm not sure, who have won major championships. Uh, it's a lot to. It, yeah. He's carrying. Speaking of horse stuff, he's carrying the Flemington Grandstand every time he goes to a major championship on his shoulders. It's, it's it's an enormous thing, Andy. I, like it'll be the weight of, I wouldn't say a continent, but definitely Japan is just cr- will be crushing him to do something successful because they are so rabid about their golfers and their achievements and things. It, it, it's a massive pressure. If he wins one, I reckon he goes on and wins a handful. Ali, I was at Augusta in 2010, lucky enough to be there, and the biggest press entourage was surrounding Ishikawa. Yeah. It was insane. The every he was every time he was not on the golf course but around the clubhouse, he would have been followed by I'm going to say minimum six, probably more like twelve to fifteen journo's cameramen sound but. It was just this bubble of media that fired Ishikawa. Oh, it was actually hard to believe. It, it is ridiculous in Japan. When they go home, there is media waiting for them mm-hmm. off the plane, regardless of how they've played pretty much. Um, it's, a, it's a deal when they come home. Like that is, yeah. um, you know, it's the arrival scene at Heathrow in Love Actually <laughs> every single time <laughs> they come back. So, you know, the, the hype that they have to deal with is absolutely ridiculous. But, I mean, isn't... I, I now, I, and I'm saying I'm exposing myself because I, I don't know the exact stats. But surely, if he wins, he's got to be close to to thinking about the world number one being an implication as well, which is just close. a whole yeah. different oh, level yeah. of pressure as well. Yeah. I think DJ's a little bit further. Yeah, he's out got than a bit of reach. a gap, yeah. but I, I don't know what a major championship does to that. So it, it, would, it has damaged it severely. Yeah. But I think yeah. he'd hang on. Uh, love actually. We t- this podcast goes in some like fascinating it. places. I like it. You, had <laughs> me in hel- you had me in hello. There you go. Was that love actually? Uh, no. Nope. What was that in? Uh, Notting Hill. The other one. Yeah, not the other Hill, Hugh. What's his name? Yeah. I've never anyway. watched one. I can't, can't say that I've watched one. Anyway. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> love you'll, unactually. You'll tear. Up. No, I won't. I promise you, I won't. Yeah, I bet you, you will. Uh, I <laughs> five Australians my, that were going. My Rio story is just to, to further highlight that is. I thought Ishikawa was a disgrace at the 2011 President's Cup because he came unprepared, didn't play a practice round, just rolled up. He put a sponsor's day in Japan ahead of coming to practice and went out onto the first day of the President's Cup paired with Ernie Els. And Ernie Els, you know, a legend at Royal Melbourne, it has to be said. I mean, he's the man who shot 60, so he knows what he's doing there. Had to point him out around the course. Had to say, hit it at that tree and hit a five-yard cut. Hit it at that. If you hit it towards that sprinkler over there, it'll run to the left, and that's not where you want to be. So you've got to pull back a club. I mean, this was like, uh, you know, discussing a course first time with a junior. Wow. It, it, and it was embarrassing. And I wrote the story saying, you know, this isn't good enough for a, 
at that stage, one of the stars of the international team. It's just not good enough. Wow. I've never had any spotlight in Australian media, no matter what I've said and written about anyone, that I had the next day from the Japanese press. I had people camped on my doorstep, Andy. Really? How dare you criticise Ryo Ishikawa? How dare you say that? I was like, mate, people have come and paid a lot of money to watch your player play the President's Cup. At the, this is the height of the game in Australia. We, we don't see better men's golf than this. Yeah. Well, how do you explain That's doing that to the guy that just missed out on the team as well in terms oh, of being exactly. respectful exactly. to your other spot players? On. There's on. people that would kill for that spot. You haven't let that spot go on. yet, have you, this whole selection thing? Oh, that's a, no, no, different, <laughs> different like things, like different it. things. No but, no, but that's exactly right. No, anyway, a, yeah. it puts the pressure. I'm just sorry. This is a very long way of saying there's a fair bit of heat on Hideki Matsuyama that's from Tokyo and surrounds. You mentioned Ernie Els. Uh, he and Phil, I think Ernie becomes 13, Phil 14. It could be the other way around, but they become, which is remarkable given the fact that they're playing, and as I'm sure we've all seen, they played a lot of junior tournament golf alongside one another. There's been that fantastic photo that somebody published yesterday of the young Ernie alongside the young Phil when they were about 14 or 15 years old. Ernie got him then, um, and he probably got him at a press conference yesterday, I reckon. Uh, they become the 13th and 14th men to join the 100 Major Club. Uh, they started way back then together, and it just so happens that they uh, reached this significant milestone together at Quail Hollow. Uh, they did a fantastic press conference, and they both asked two questions. One, the best shot you played at um, a major, your best shot you've ever played, and the impact of Tiger Woods on your careers. I reckon it was worth having a bit of listen to the answers of Phil Mickelson and Ernie Els. For me, the shot out of the trees in 2010 at Augusta was a shot I remember or feel like it was the most memorable. It was a shot that uh, is either going to win me the tournament or cost me the tournament, and I was able to pull it off and ended up winning it. Um, but I do. I feel as though had I had Tiger not come around, I don't feel I would have pushed myself to achieve what I ended up achieving because he forced everybody to get the best out of themselves. He forced everybody to work a little bit harder. He forced everybody to look at fitness uh as a big part of the game of golf, and I think that uh, that's actually helped me with longevity, uh, working with my trainer, Sean Cochran, for 14 years now and trying to uh, keep stay flexible and, and, uh, and so forth to elongate the career, and I feel like that's been a big part of it, and he was a big influence on that, so I don't think I would have had the same level of success had he not come around. But I think that my special shot was probably the 17th hour congressional um, you guys still think that I pulled it. Um, I still said, you know, it's my natural draw shot in there. <laughs> but that was, that was a special shot. I didn't make the birdie, but, it, you know, obviously the other guys made bogeys there. Tiger, I mean, I, I'm a little different from Phil. I won a couple early on. So I was kind of, um, I was ready to win quite a few, if you know what I mean. And then um, when Tiger came in 97 and, and him winning that, the Masters in the way he did, you know, that kind of threw me off a little bit, you know. I, I'm like, you know, I thought I was really one of the top players, uh, which I was, but that was a pretty special um, uh, display of golf. And um, I had quite a few uh, run-ins with him, you know, um, in majors. Uh, it wasn't really very close, but I finished second to him many times. So, um, personally, I could have obviously won a couple more. But as Phil says, this guy was so special, he's so special, and that he uh, absolutely changed the game. You know, he got us to really elevate our games, um, 
brought so much more attention to the, to the sport and obviously a lot more um, uh, dollars to play for. So we've got to thank him. And, um, but, you know, I could have had a couple more definitely with him, without him around. God love him. <laughs> love him. <laughs> I mean, Phil, you know, God love them both, and we've loved watching them do what they do. But there's Phil doing the, yeah, he's made me better, and, yeah, I wouldn't have been what I am without him and all the rest of it. And there's Ernie saying, I wish he hadn't been around, <laughs> and I would have won twice as many majors if it hadn't been for Tiger Woods. You can't oh, tell me Phil's not thinking I would have won 12. Of course he's yeah. thinking that. Just answer the question. Um, <laughs> so we've got a bunch of Australians teeing it up. Uh, our, your favourite, Stewie Dean's yeah. playing in it. Uh, Day, Scott, Leishman, Hen, Cameron Smith, Rod Pampling and Stewie Dean. Hopefully Rod Pampling's over the conjunctive itis, which dogged him on the weekend. He did beat Danny Will at home in the WGC event over there at Akron, Ohio. I would have backed you to beat Danny Willett. Hey? Yeah, he's going, he's going just, he probably needs some time off Danny Willett. It would be a good idea for him to do it. Five Australians have won the PGA Championship in the past. You want to have a crack at who they are? Uh, let's you go with Jim Ferrier, Wayne Grady, Elkington, Day, and, gee, I'm missing one. That's horrendous. Come David on. Graham. Spot on. Oh, sorry. Spot on. Spot sorry on. to the Bulldog. Can any of the Australians win it this week? Have you got them in your... Short list of potentials. Oh, I've got I've got Leash right in that mix. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I mean, Ali said earlier, there's so many great quirky possibilities at the top of this uh, event, but Mark Leishman has to be among those. Who are you tipping? I think we're going to see someone that's in the top ten of the world win this week. Oh, wow, <laughs> which is not that bold, but I just <laughs> I just don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to be one of those. I think it's going to be a big name. I don't think it's going to be Charlie Hoffman. I don't, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like those yeah, guys yeah, that no, are on no, the outskirts. Yeah, and he's coming off a second and a third the last he's two weeks. He's formed outstanding. And he's, you know, so you're ruling not... out Charlie Hoffman. That's all you're doing. Here. <laughs> right. There's a few more that I'm ruling out. <laughs> you but... have got the Solheim Cup on your mind. We, we'll give you Rory, <laughs> Rory. Rory. I know Rory's been backed into ridiculous favouritism. Like he's, I think this morning he was like, not that we're advocating necessarily punting, but it was like 7 bucks to win it, and then the next best was like 11 or $12. So, mm. you know, you're talking Johnson and Spieth are on the second line of betting, um, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But he comes off the back of the open cheek. He probably should have won that, with all due respect to Jordan Spieth. And his record, as you've pointed out, Al, already around this course is ridiculously good. So you're going to be... And I reckon he's... I just reckon there's a little bit of Rory McIlroy wanting to prove, get a big win on the board to just shut a few people up who are, you know, starting to ask a few questions about, you know, manufacturing changes and the caddy change and, you know, this, that, your game and all the rest of it. You're not suited to these courses, you're suited to those guys. I reckon there's a bit of Rory that just said, right, it's time for me to just put a few people back in their box and this wouldn't be a bad way to do it. Uh, I'm not sure who's going to win, but I don't think it's going to be Danny Willett. I won't be Danny Willett. So get off Charlie Hoffman and get off Danny Willett. Um, anything else? That, look, there's other bits and pieces floating around. Time's probably on the fly. There was some pretty big moves over on the uh, US. The PGA has decided to move a couple of its key tournaments around the PGA and the players. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting Starting development. 2019. Yeah, yeah, for I think there's the schedule, the season that is golf. For so many people, and the U.S. tours uh, schedule impacts everything, right down the women's game. Even it just it impacts everything, uh, unfortunately. But it is the way it is. Uh, pretty much crushed, I'd suggest, Andy, by the groundswell of you know just rabid support for the NFL, mm. which starts uh, in early September. So the, their mission uh, 
you know, they have stated it publicly to their credit, but I think it's a far more, uh, a far bigger thing uh, than they've let on is to get over and done with the FedEx Cup playoffs and everything else before the NFL rolls around. Yep. Uh, so what it means is the PGA Championship comes forward to May, the Players Championship goes forward to March, so they have something big in their, in inverted commas from March, the Players, April, Masters, PGA May, US Open June, Open, Open. Championship July, FedEx Cup August, and then we'll get out of it and let it be. Uh, it's got bigger impact than that. Um, it's moved the PGA Championship from Wentworth back into September. I'm sure it's going to have some impact on the on the women's schedule. Um, it also frees up spots for the Olympics potentially every four mm. years so that they don't have to rejig the entire calendar. So it makes a lot of sense, I, I think, in, in so many ways. It's still really, really gut-wrenching to me that the WGC – has got nothing, no impact on the W. It's just a golf yeah, championship. It's it nothing yeah. to do with the world, yeah. and we'd love to see some of those spread out around the globe. Um, enjoy your trip. Who's going to who, will he, who's going to win it? I think America. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, they've got a massive advantage on paper, but the European team's better at match play. Um, last word on Jared Lyle before you get yes, going. Yes, uh, very important. Uh, Andy, we set up a a page, a landing page at the Golf Australia website yesterday. Um, John Sutherland set it up. It's golf.org.au slash goodluckjared, J-A-R-R-O-D. Uh, so we can go and send a message and hopefully Jared will read it and, and uh, in time respond or at least take it in in his battle with cancer, going through a third fight with leukemia. I encourage everyone to um, not only sign it themselves with the hashtag goodluckjared, but also to spread it so that um, as many people as possible can... Um, partake in that and and send their wishes because it's uh something that i think it's a, it's a good thing to you know share that fight as much as we can i mean physically it's not an impossibility but mentally let him know we're in his corner yeah i mean jared's just been through the loop hasn't he so and you as you said hazy you can't find a better bloke than that and 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 it makes a difference to him these messages i can't stress that enough he really builds on it and and we all know that hope and and good support is what we all need yeah, so it's, it's golf.org.au forward slash good luck, Jared. He reads them and takes notice, and it means something to him. Um, Hazy, always good um, to see you, and I'll see you next week. Pleasure's mine, Andy. I'll put some long pants on for you next week. <laughs> Ellie, if... Ellie's just having a coughing fit over there. She gets a beautiful dulcet tone. Cheers, guys. Right. <laughs> She's come good right at the very end. Uh, thanks for tuning in again, folks. This has been Inside the Robes, Episode 12, another big week in the world of golf. We'll be back next week to have a chat about it all again. We'll see you then.